Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Back in the screening room after an unexpected absence last <laughs> week, and uh, we'll explain. Welcome. We got more new movies to talk about in theaters and on home video. And she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. We are from MadWolf.com, and the Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. And their 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound as well as those Dream Lounger recliners. Well, first off, apologies for being gone last week. We didn't plan on being gone. No, we came uh, we in some, and recorded and we everything. We did, and it was a good one. I should say <laughs> it was our best one ever. And then technical glitches in a moment. That file was long gone. Yeah. So, uh, boy, I was, I was, not, I was not happy. No, it was and a, you know what? It was not happy you, Friday. You, you took it pretty well, considering Ooh. the way you normally take things like that. <laughs> it was so. Apologies. That's what happened last week. It was just it, it disappeared on the hard drive, out of the hard drive, whatever. So we're glad to be back. And you, we were talking about the the big screen. This first movie we're going to talk about. There's double the reason to get a big old IMAX screen for that. Yes, we'll talk about it here in a second. But this first one is a story of a young orphan named Louis Barnevelt aiding his magical uncle in locating a clock with the power to bring about the end of the world. It's the house with the clock in its walls. The house is a very old place. There's a clock in the walls. We don't know what it does, except something horrible. So, you've told Lewis everything? Well, not everything. That's safe? As long as it's fed. Okay, so we're, well, here's the thing. If you see this movie and you go see the IMAX version, I think just for a very limited time, but definitely for this opening weekend, you're going to see the restored 3D IMAX version of Michael Jackson's Thriller. So we've already seen this movie, and they didn't show that for critics, so we're going again just for that. I mean, we're not staying for the whole movie again, but we are going to go see Michael Jackson's Thriller. Not only are we not going to stay for the whole thing, we're going to pay IMAX prices. Right, which to be to honest, in... we don't have to pay for movies ever, so when you find out <laughs> IMAX, what is it, like $300 or something, it's insane. <laughs> we're doing it. We're going to do it this weekend just to see the restored version of Michael Jackson's Thriller. So that will be cool. That will be cool. But, on to the movie. This is the movie adaptation of a book Another one of these classic children's books that I missed. I, I, I read this one uh, when I was a kid. Uh, Joy, my twin sister, had it. And I remember thinking the cover was spooky. There was like a severed hand with a candle sticking out of the back that, that was on the cover. That is spooky. And, uh, and I read it, and I enjoyed it. It's very enjoyable. And it has these illustrations. It's a chapter book, so it's not a picture book, but it's got periodic illustrations, pen and ink drawings from Edward Gorey, right, who did the original sort of Adam's Family drawings and all those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a, it was a great sort of tone setter it's kind of the the wonderment of childhood as well as just the ugliness of adulthood it is mm -hmm. it's spooky but it's funny so the film is directed by eli roth right which is a little strange if you know eli roth's work he's normally dealt with just really grisly horror yeah you know hostile right and cabin, cabin fever. fever the green inferno yeah, things like that i mean the most family-friendly movie he's ever made was the remake of death wish and that's not a lie <laughs> that's uh, which is not very family <laughs> no. friendly but 
Yeah, and that starts to get into the the, the problems uh, with this movie. I think the problems come from tone number one. Yes. I think it's stuck somewhere between young kids mm-hmm. who, who frankly, I, I found some of this to be too scary for young kids. Very young. I would think so, too. Yeah, and then maybe to a point where once you get old enough so that they're not going to think it's scary, they might be a little bored by yeah, it. Yeah, I think at that point, the tone is a little too retro and silly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's an interesting, it's very, it's got a lot of sort of Amblin for me going on. It's got a very, I mean, it's it's set in the 50s, although the vibe is of an, one of the, in the 80s, all of the kids' movies were set in the 50s, yeah. and so it's got that kind of a vibe to it. It um, does. But and- it doesn't have visually like any sort of depth. So he moves, oh, he moves to this small town, New Zebedee, Michigan. In He's an orphan. He moves in with his uncle that he's never met before. And the, the house where he moves in, it's kind of a haunted house, and it's got millions and millions of clocks everywhere. It's got well, a, And it's thought of throughout the neighborhood as a haunted house. Right. But it just looks like a prop. It doesn't look like any place anyone would live. It looks very much like you're walking into the set of something, and or a di- like a Disney attraction, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 there's that kind of I think shallowness to the visuals all the way throughout that make you feel like you're watching a well put together Nickelodeon show. Yeah. Now the uncle is played by Jack Black, always, who is always yeah. always fun and so then charming and fun, especially his, in kids' movies. His frenemy. Um, right. is played by Kate Blanchett, who, who is, is fantastic. perfect. Yeah, now, she's just one of the greatest actors ever born. Yeah, now uh, the Jack Black, the uncle character, is a is a warlock, mm-hmm. and then Kate Blanchett's character is a witch. Mm-hmm. Although she's not using her powers here recently, but um, Jack Black, the crazy uncle, is, and so part of this becomes once he takes on uh, his his nephew uh, to live there, then it becomes for me since I wasn't familiar with the book. It struck me as a little Harry Potter going on because there was a young boy learning how to be a wizard. Right. You know, learning how to do these spells and everything like that. And then he unknowingly, without giving away too much, sets off, sets in motion sets in motion this chain of events that could bring about the end of days. And that is all has to do with this clock counting down to the end of days, which Jack Black has been trying to find. That's why there's so many clocks in his house to drown out the ticking of the one clock that matters. Right. And there are a couple ways that I think um, the film does a good job of kind of streamlining and reining in and, you know, making, you know, the, the novel more palatable, although it's it's not that long. And I kind of like the unwieldy nature as a read. Uh, but, you know, there are some ways where I think the way Eli Roth kind of produces it it moves a little bit better because it is a little bit more streamlined. For example, in the in the novel, he doesn't teach um, his nephew how to be a witch. Oh, interesting. No, uh, he just picks stuff up on his own. He's just interested in it. I mean, there are a lot of different ways where it's entertaining. There are a couple things that he changes about the novel that I am not sure I understand why that is. So all of the main characters are still there. But in the novel... <clears throat> It's Mrs. Zimmerman. It's the it's uh, the Kate Blanchett character, Mrs. Zimmerman. She's the powerful witch, mm. and also um, it's not. Uh, there's a, a warlock who died 
and his wife, who died. Selena is the most powerful of all the witches, and that would be the the witch who died. She's an afterthought in this movie. Yeah, she is. And 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 I think if they had chosen to do that one side or the other, I would have thought to myself, this is just a narrative choice to kind of tidy things up. But the fact that they did it both sides, they decided it's going to be the three dudes who are who are really strong mm-hmm. and who are passing things. Uh, that kind of stuck in my craw. Yeah, having not read the novel, when you told me that, it was surprising because I was then started immediately started thinking, okay, what would be, as you say, narrative choice to do that? And it's hard to come up with one. It is. Uh, to, to make those changes on both sides. So that is a little curious. But um, I think you're right about the uh, artificialness, I guess, yeah. of, of everything. I mean, it's it's... Don't get me wrong; it's not horrible. No, you know it it's lo- kind of fun. It looks fine. It yeah. has its fun moments. You know the the cast is fun. Um, you know, the young boy, Owen Vaccaro, I th- he's from the the Daddy's Home movies. Yeah, he's fine. They don't give him much to do. They really don't. Which I think is is a missed opportunity because the film he's a he's an orphan and he's moved to this new place and he's an outsider and he doesn't have any friends and he can't get any friends. It's really honestly at its heart, it's a story about grief, which is um, a really common and and easy to uh, to create a compelling story around. It's a really common theme in adolescent literature, right? And and Eli Roth just disregards it. Oh, uh, he's barely a character, honestly. You know, it's funny you bring that up because during the movie, and I didn't even tell you this, during the movie, I started thinking to myself how much I liked A Monster Calls. Oh, my God. Because dealing with yes. grief, you know, yeah. uh, and it's an, another fantastical type of story, mm-hmm. but it reminded me how much I liked the, the the theme the thematics of uh, a monster calls yeah, even better but so you know this is it it's perfectly fine yeah, especially just, yep. as we're leading up to halloween exactly it's perfectly fine as long as the the kids are old enough because there are some dark moments here that might scare i mean obviously you're going to know your kids better than we do so right. if your kid is up to that but i think there there are some some moments that are might be a little scary for the for the really little ones but it's it's perfectly fine for for running up to a halloween family film but really not much more than that no and that is the house with the clock in its walls next up is the latest from michael moore as he examines the current state of american politics particularly the trump presidency and gun violence while highlighting the powers of grassroots democratic movements this one's called fahrenheit 119 how the f- did this happen the American dream is dead. Stop resisting. The president's powers here are beyond question. Ladies and gentlemen, the last president of the United States. Coming to an American city near you. When people re- hear there's a new Michael Moore movie, they think to themselves, uh, all right, he's just preaching to the choir. I'm not sure that's the case here. No, I don't think it is at all. And it's called uh, Fahrenheit 11.9 because you remember he did a movie, Fahrenheit 9.11. I do remember. About, uh, about mainly about George Bush's presidency. And this one, 11.9 in uh, 2016, was the day after the presidential, presidential election, election where Trump got elected. So that's where it starts. But the, the other surprising thing about the movie is how little Trump is really focused on right. in the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. he definitely is. And, I mean, Trump fans are not going to like this movie at all. Well, they're not going to see it because it's a Michael Moore movie. <laughs> that's probably true. And he knows that. <laughs> yeah. You're talking about preaching to the choir. It's not the choir he's after. It starts with the, with Trump being elected. But then the, the question that he asked and that you can hear in the trailer is, how did we get here? Now, 
he's not interested with that tired old narrative of let's go to the heartland and hear about how those people that were ignored about their economic anxieties. I'm because so let's be honest, tired of hearing Trump that. Trump lost the popular vote. Right. Most voters, which heartland or no, most voters did not vote for him. And and I think that one of the things Moore does, and he often does really well, is to sidestep the narrative that is being forced on everybody and actually digging in. Yeah, when he's talking about how we got here, he, he goes back and examines a bunch of different factors that not that, that really led us to the atmosphere that enabled anyone like Trump to be elected. How could this happen? And not only that, but how could, as you say, someone who, who doesn't get the majority of, of votes beyond the Electoral College, how does it continue to be that so much of America is ruled by minority? Mm-hmm. And there's by a, political minority. By political minority. And it, it goes into a lot of different things in, in history, and, and it, it really wants to get people to realize that their vote does matter. And Mm -hmm. he does go into the reasons why he understands why people feel that their vote does not matter. But w- and how that attitude benefits the political minority. And oh, when you say that, much. you don't mean Republicans as political minority. You mean conservatives, because, as he points out, uh, in poll after poll, the majority of American voters are not conservative. That's the thing. He, he, you know, the, the myth of the real America. You see so many uh, people on the right talking about, well, you know, real Americans. And he wants to point out that, you know, so in, in issue after issue after issue, poll after poll after poll, the majority of Americans favor left-leaning mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet that doesn't come out in uh, who is is ruling no. so many states, and in this case, the presidency. And he's, so, and he's you know, he's critical of Democrats as well. Oh, I my, mean, people should know that because, my, because yes. the current... Those in office aren't doing anything either. Yeah, so, he, he, not only he goes after the, the the Democratic you know establishment as well as President Obama as well as President Clinton, and uh, in in just deconstructing a lot of different factors, uh, including goes back to the, the the water crisis in his hometown of Flint, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a strike, a teacher strike in West Virginia. There's the 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 horrible school shooting in Parkland. Yeah. And then the inspiration of those kids. Oh my God. Those activists that yes. came out of that. They are. I'll tell you what. I mean, I'd heard a little bit about what they're doing, but those kids are really inspirational. So the movie is at times, you know, enraging. It's chilling. It's scary. It's funny, but it's also hopeful and inspirational. And you know, at Michael Moore. At his worst, he can be self-aggrandizing. You know, he puts himself into the narrative. Right, and also often in a very gimmicky way. Gimmicky. He can be a little bit too eager to connect certain dots yeah. and, and yeah. lead the witness, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, here, except for really there's one stunt that he pulls where he goes to the governor's mansion in Michigan, which was pretty needless. Other than that, I thought he was really forthright and committed here and, and stayed pretty much in the background and lifting, you know, the issues and the, the certain instances that he's talking about more to the forefront. And it's, it's, it's a long movie and it does take you all over the place, but it really comes back to the, in the end, to the, the very core message of, look, there's a real choice here that a real, a real crossroads that we have to pay attention to history of where we could be leading. And we have to be very, very careful to as as one a Yale history professor uh, puts it in the in the times of of crisis you need to mobilize more toward freedom and less toward safety right and that's where the the concentration and the effort should be and people and he does point out many reasons to 
be hopeful that people are mobilizing, people are getting together and realizing that they can be, a, a grassroots movement can be, still can be, a political force in this country. And so in the end of, of, of all the things that will bring you down in this movie, there's reasons to, to hope. And I mm-hmm. think that's the, the main message that he's trying to reach for, for people to know that it's not, it's not a lost cause. And if you're concerned about where things are right now, there's a way out. Because not only is this movie talking about how do we get here, the bigger question is how do we get out? Right. And uh, I think it's really effective in, in telling that story and presenting it in a in a very sobering at times, but also very entertaining and inspirational way. So a big recommendation for Michael Moore's latest. I think it's one of his best, Fahrenheit 11.9. And one more coming out in wide release this weekend. After a malicious data hack exposes the secrets of the perpetually American town of Salem, chaos descends and four girls must fight to survive while coping with the hack themselves. It's called Assassination Nation. When 17,000 people's texts and emails get leaked, people get really weird. Run, Lily! Who sees a naked photo of a girl and their first thought is, yo, I gotta kill this girl. Where do you think you're going, Lily? Way more people than you'd think. Don't touch me! This is your world. You built this. You may kill me, but you can't kill us all. This one had me a little bit excited from the trailer and also from the fact that it was written and directed by Sam Levinson, who, if you don't know, is the son of Barry Levinson. Barry Levinson, very respected filmmaker. But unfortunately, the potential of the trailer doesn't really pan out here in the film. No, it's funny. The trailer is almost, you know, minute by minute, the opening sequences of the film. And and it made for a great trailer, but actually for a film opening, it's rather aggravating because it, it is a list of the ways in which this film is promising to offend you. This voiceover by a teenage girl, and that's quite a setup because I, I could not help but recognize as the movie progresses that it doesn't offend me in any way. It pulls too many punches, and the ones that it lands are may not be the ones that it ought to. So we're in Salem, Massachusetts, which is not <laughs> coincidental. Right. And the film follows four teenage girls um, whose town turns on them, ostracizes them, and suddenly they are in a great deal of, of um, potential harm. What it really, it reminds me immediately of was the film Tragedy Girls, which not a lot of people saw, but it was a great horror film, very funny, and very clever in the way it uses uh, social media and sort of the, you know, saturation of social media in a teenager's life. Yeah, it was much more in the moment, successfully in the moment than this is. Yes, very much, because it, it felt like it was being crafted by people who actually knew what they're talking about, as opposed to crafted by people who are trying really hard to convince you. That's the thing. Crafted by people who who weren't trying to convince you how woke they were. Yes. And that's what this has. This The, the, the whole movie, and I'm sorry, the other film that it will absolutely remind you of is The Purge. So it's a combination of those two films, both of which are a, a lot more socially savvy and culturally conscious and woke <laughs> than this movie is. Although There's nothing you know, better than... To people as white as we right. are saying woke, exactly. by the way, and we do realize right. that. We so. both done it once. We're going to stop it. We're going to stop. We're stop. We're stopping. Uh, but but honestly, that what, what you just said—that is the problem with this movie—is that it's trying. And and it's funny because I at a certain point I convinced myself, well, wait a minute, this is 
aimed at and describing a generation who doesn't know when they're being ironic. They've wallowed in irony so much their whole lives, they honestly can't tell the difference anymore. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what this filmmaker is trying to do. And then I thought, nope, here's why. Here's why I don't think so. Because it is still a film written and directed by a middle-aged man, white man, with a lot of money. And it's about the plight of four teenage girls who don't really know whether they should be embracing the idea of their sexual freedom, whether they should embrace being objectified, whether they should reject being objectified, all of the pressure that goes with being... And at the same time, the shorts these girls wear don't cover the top of their underpants, let alone the rest of them. And so he is so badly objectifying these four leads at the same time that he's wrestling with them over so many of the different problems that relate to objectification, particularly when you're coming of age and not really sure where you land on something. So anyway, it's a long way of saying, no, it's not irony. It's not. <laughs> I was just going to say, cue Alanis Morissette. Yeah. <laughs> don't you think? No. no I got to say I don't. Um, it's. I mean, it's not like it's... So it's very definitely not a feminist film. It's not a particularly um, insightful film. It is a violent frenetic, energetic, vivid movie, uh, you know, um, and I mean, there is some enjoyment to be had here. There's also, I want to give the film credit for uh, one of the four teenage besties is played by Hari Neff, and it is a transgender student. Hari Neff is apt named Yeah, she's in, um, she has been in Transparent. Yes, she has been. It's a great performance. Actually, I mean, all four of the leads are, are, are very good, but she is particularly standout good, and also I want to give the film credit because... She's not a throwaway character. She has a, a fairly deep and, and necessary storyline throughout. Right. And So, yeah, definitely credit for that. Yes, and, and it's handled well, and she's very enjoyable. And, and, you know, I mean, the film is a blast of carnage. It's mm-hmm. just trying so hard to convince you something that it really isn't carrying out. And I found that, particularly after the opening sequence where it's promising to offend me, I, I just found it a bit lame. Yeah, agreed. Uh, disappointed by Assassination Nation. A couple opening in limited release to talk about this week, and the first one is a psychological thriller based on the infamous 1892 murders of the Borden family. It's Lizzie. Lizzie Andrew Borden, do you swear before Almighty God to tell the truth in all matters pertaining to the murder of Andrew and Abby Borden? Are you afraid? What? To your knowledge, did your father have any enemies? This is America, sir. Every man with a pulse has enemies. Yeah, this is definitely a different take on the legendary story. It's uh, Chloe Sevigny as Lizzie Borden, and then the co-star... Uh, is Kristen Stewart, K-Stew. K-Stew. She plays <laughs> She plays the um, Irish immigrant maid who lives with the Bordens, and both of them do a great job. So Chloe Sevigny is really good at playing sort of that, you know, eye-rolling, <laughs> yep. dismissive outsider. Yep. And, yep. and that is how she portrays Lizzie Borden. It's a very interesting take on the character. And K-Stew, she, um, she's, you know... More and more, she surprises me. Uh, I know that I have never been a fan, um, but I really think that even though, even though she is still playing a morose, 
put upon dysfunctional young woman in this. She she does it well. No, she has. In the last few years, I mean, we've talked about how much good work Robert Pattinson, yes. you know, we go back to her co-star in the Twilight movies, how much good work he has done lately. Uh, she has done some good she work has. as well. She, she really has. has. So uh, it's not that she hasn't impressed before. She has. But she also gets comfortable in her niche yeah. of that angsty, put-upon uh, character. Uh, but no, she, she definitely impresses here as well. Director Craig William McNeil's focus here is definitely an interesting one because, I mean, I think it's an infamous case, of course. Uh, Lizzie Borden, she was charged with axe murdering her both of her parents, her, her father and stepmother. And, and she uh, was acquitted because a, a jury of, of all men did not believe that a delicate female of her social status had it in her to commit these crimes, even though there were no other suspects and, and the crime was never solved. So it's, it's an interesting case, and a lot of people have made movies about it, and I like this approach because one of the things that it does is bring up a lot of facts about being a 30-something unmarried woman in 1892 mm-hmm. that would... I mean, it's very, very intriguing the way it's handled. And then also, for really the first time, people look closely at this maid and very realistically portray what her life was probably like as an attractive, single immigrant inside this man's house mm-hmm. with no power in neither of them, right? I mean, it was it's an interesting take. and uh, And then the relationship that builds... Allegedly, right in this particular right. story. So we're talking the two. about writer's embellishment exactly. here, you know. And all of it is, it you know, it starts off with things that make absolute sense. You're saying to yourself, "Of course, why didn't we think of this?" And then it moves on to things you're like, "Okay, all right, we could go there if you want to." And then further into, <laughs> "All right, I'm now. I think maybe you're just being lurid for the, but you know." Uh, so it's another one where I think to myself, maybe this is just a male gaze uh-huh. situation yeah. at the same time the performances are so strong and there is enough grounding in fact that they absolutely get away with it yeah definitely no i think that's a fair a fair question to ask when a, it takes a writer's embellishment course that it does for you to ask that okay what's the point here is right. it just to be lurid right for that male gaze i think it's a totally fair question to ask but when everything else comes around, yeah, you have to say, all right, yep. you're 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 determined to try to get away with this, and you darn near do it. Yes, absolutely, you know, yeah. Be- because of the talent involved. So definitely a, an interesting, very well-constructed case on uh, the Lizzie Borden legend. And that's Lizzie coming out this week in limited release. And one more, actually one, it's called Pick of the Litter. It's one that we did not see. One of our other writers at MadWolf.com, Brandon Thomas, saw it. It's a documentary on the training of guide dogs, and he absolutely adored it. And he's not the only one. It it, it played Doc Week, Documentary Week at Gateway Film Center. and it here, was Which here. is here in Columbus, where is our home base is. It was profoundly popular, which yeah. is why they brought it back for a full slate release. Well, now, I think Brandon, is he was very, um, full disclosure, the fact that he loves dogs. Yes, he does but, love dogs. I mean, really, Who a lot doesn't? of people do, exactly. So, But he would just <laughs> want to know. not, why not? Look, it's easy pickings for a dog lover to love this movie, but he really, really um, recommends it. And so, you, you follow these five Labrador puppies from the time they're born yeah. uh, through their training, which is very rigorous and difficult, and mm-hmm. not everybody makes it. Yep. So it's it's uh, it's very informative and incredibly cute. Yeah, so uh, if you want to check out his full review, it's very good, his full written review, you can find that at madwolf.com. But he gave it the big, big recommendation, and that's Pick of the Litter. So let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. 
Let's all go to the lobby. First up in home video, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um, no. I, the Fallen with me stood for Fallen Asleep. Oh, yeah. Because um, that's, I know, an easy joke to make, but I, I was bored by it. It's just it's just such a mishmash of everything you've seen in the previous installments of the movie, in particular, number two, the second mm-hmm. um, film. It was really a disappointment because uh, Bayona, the director who who did A Monster Calls, who has done only yes. great, great films. Yes. And I was expecting something more because of that. But I did not get it. It's just boring. I think the main thing that you appreciated was uh, Bryce Dallas Howard's character having more sensible footwear. Yes. Yes. And clothes. <laughs> but, yes. Yeah. Beyond that, though, yeah, it just, nothing stood out. No. E- everything was just rote. I mean, yeah. I will say this, though. I think the, the chomping quotient was higher. Yes. I think you're right. I think that there There's is... Some- a lot eating going on there is a lot there is a lot but i just don't i mean i just don't think besides that i mean so many scenes are lifted directly from other films in this series so many of them it became shocking yet there wasn't really much tension no going on anything to really get invested in and in the end yeah i was just bored by uh fallen kingdom uh the other one out on home video one you may not have heard of called damsel speaking of we were just talking about uh kristen stewart and robert pattinson Here's Robert Pattinson. Yes, and he is really quite uh, wonderful in this movie. It's a very small, very quirky Western that just reimagines, again, actually, not so unlike Lizzie. It re it, it makes you rethink about Westerns because, it, while it's not told from the perspective of the female character, it actually brings in facts like that you've never been privy to. It never occurred to you. It's always told from the point of view of a man. And this woman, who he's gone to rescue, doesn't want to be rescued. And then once he puts her in the situation, everybody wants to rescue her, and she just (laughs) wants them to leave her alone. It's very clever. It's fun. It's super quirky. And and, she's played by uh, Mia Mia Wasikowski, who's who's always great. Also very good. So, yeah, quirky, a different take. But again, it, it, you think to yourself, maybe this shouldn't have been a different no. take. I should have seen something like this before. Yes. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so that might be worth checking out on home video this week. Next week, we look forward to, hey, we're getting closer to Halloween. Yeah. So that's right in our wheelhouse. We've got a horror movie coming out called Hellfest. Looking forward to. Also, Smallfoot, a new animated uh, movie, movie coming out. James. LeBron James is one of the voices. And a movie that I think I've been seeing the trailer for for about eight or nine months. <laughs> They tell me Night School is finally coming out. That is Kevin Hart and uh, Tiffany Haddish, who, man, does she have a lot of movies in the can all of a sudden. Yes, And she don't does. get me wrong, I understand why. Yes, because she's man, brilliant and hilarious. It just seems like she made about six movies in about two weeks. Yeah. But this one seems to me like it's been on the shelf for a while. Well, I mean, they've certainly been promoting it for a yeah, long time. Yeah, they sure have. So we'll see how that pans out next week. Until then, uh, let us know what you thought of anything uh, going on this week. And the easiest way to do that is on our Twitter. You can find us at MadWolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F on Facebook and Instagram. We're at MadWolfColumbus. And, of course, the main website with the written reviews and also our other podcast, our horror movie podcast called Fright Club. You can find all that at madwolf.com. So the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. Until next week, she's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. <laughs>